Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And after we did an episode not too long ago about elective cesareans which are on the rise in the United States, a lot of moms in particular wrote in asking, hey, thanks for covering this. Why don't you look at the opposite side of the birthing conversation and look more at natural birth? Yeah, and I was reading all these suggestions, and everybody had a lot of great input. And I honestly, I was like, natural birth, that's just going without meds, right? I mean, that's all there is to it. It's just like not having a C-section is natural birth. Oh, no, I was definitely wrong. I definitely had the wrong impression. There is so much more to natural birth than just not relying on pain medications. I mean, it's not relying on interventions in general, really, but it also is pretty multifaceted because you can have a natural birth in a hospital setting, like in a birthing center, maybe, but natural birth also comprises home birth, Mm -hmm. water birth, Birthing at Ina Mae Gaskin's farm. Yes. Which we'll get into in a little while. And as we mentioned in the podcast on C-sections, just to go ahead and get it out of the way, as, as most regular listeners know, you know, we're going to be talking about natural birth not as a form of advocacy saying that this is the way that you should have your children. A, because if Caroline and I, two childless women, were to tell you how to have babies, that would be just crazy. Right. And also because that's not the point. We just want to to educate you because we learned a lot of stuff and now we want to pass it along to listeners. So let's go ahead and get into stuff because like you said, Caroline, um, you know, your concept of natural was just limited to the presence or absence, I should say, of medications. But really, just how natural are we talking when we're talking about natural birth? Well, when we're talking about natural birth, according to Christine Isaacs, the director of the General Obstetrics and Gynecology Division at Virginia Commonwealth University Medical Center and director of midwifery services for the VCU Health System, she said, in general, uh, natural birth implies a non-medicated birth where you're letting the natural process of labor and birth take place without any interventions. And that's a big part of natural birth, of letting the natural process of labor go forward. So you're not inducing labor, you know, your doctor is not breaking your water for you, and even, and we'll get into like visualization stuff uh, in a little while, but like even maybe as you're lying in bed about to give birth, you're going into labor, you're actually envisioning the process to help it go along. And so interventions that are not part of natural birth include things like continuous fetal monitoring and epistiotomies, which is the worst thing ever, according to this childless woman who was reading stuff about natural birth. And every time I read what an epistiotomy was, I just shifted uncomfortably in my seat. Yes, yeah, see, the epistiotomy is a procedure in which uh, uh, the doctor will make an incision from the, the vaginal opening to the perineum to make more room for the baby. Uh, in that way, because sometimes that it will it will tear on its own uh, if you are having a vaginal birth. But an episiotomy go, goes ahead and, and gets that over with, probably in maybe a cleaner way. We might have to take a, a quick break from this podcast, so Caroline. I can go put my head between my legs. Yes. Um, and of course, uh, one of the major interventions, like we've already mentioned a couple times now, no epidurals, no pain medications. A lot of times the mother will rely on relaxation techniques. So briefly 
actually, let's go over the history of natural birth. Uh, I mean, we could say the history of natural birth goes back to the, you know, the very first time a female exited a baby out of the womb because, you know, but let's talk about in more, more modern times, the quote unquote father of natural childbirth, British Dr. Grantley Dick Reed, who published the book Natural Childbirth in 1933. And this was representative of a change because by this time, uh, childbirth had become more medicalized with it leaving the home and becoming something where women go to the doctor in the hospital to deliver their baby. Right. And Dick Reed was really concerned with the increasing use of anesthesia and obstetric interventions, as well as the neglect of a woman's psyche during the process. You know, he said that uh, women require more attention and, and you should have more of a an intimate kind of natural setting for a birth. And he said, as far as nature goes, Woman is primarily adapted for the perfection of womanhood, which is, according to the law of nature, reproduction. So in other words, let woman do what woman will. Now, there have been some who have said that Dr. Dick Reed was also a eugenicist who wanted to encourage more white women in particular to have more children. Because at this point, the birth rate was starting to drop a little bit for white women, some of whom might have not been too pumped about the prospect of um, the the pain involved with having a baby. Um, But that was, uh, we couldn't find a direct source on that. It was something mentioned, I believe in a New York Times magazine piece about natural birth. But we did want to bring that up because uh, that would be an important point to not not bring up about right. Dick Reed. Yeah, well, he, he based a lot of his theories about the birth process on early studies he did in his medical career. But even really before that, when he was in World War One and he was speaking with uh, a man from India, an officer, an, like a subordinate officer from India about yoga and meditation. And so he takes that knowledge about relaxation techniques and meditation. And he, he went on to read more books about relaxation techniques. And so that really shaped his idea of, look, you don't need all of this intervention, all of this interference. In fact, he said, interference is still one of the greatest dangers with which both mother and child have to contend. So he thought it was more dangerous to have all of these medical interventions in the hospital as opposed to giving, quote unquote, natural childbirth. And as a result, he went on to pioneer the use of hypnosis during labor, which is one of the relaxation techniques that we will talk about later on in the podcast. So that's going on, though, in the 1930s, early 1940s. Then when we come to the 1960s and early 70s, we have a major tide shifting. And this is coming from Sharon Levine, who is an MD at the Northern California Permanente Medical Group. Uh, From 1995, she talks about how there was a consumer revolt against highly structured hospital-centered prenatal care. And yes, you know, this is the 1960s and 70s, so it is coupled with more of the hippie movement at the time. Right, and riding that wave of natural childbirth uh, in the 1960s and early 1970s was Ina Mae Gaskin, who, if you consider Dick Reed to be the father of natural childbirth, Ina Mae Gaskin is pretty much the mother of it. Uh, in the 1970s, she publishes her book, Spiritual 
midwifery, which framed natural childbirth as a euphoric experience, an unparalleled opportunity for transcendence and communion. She really crusaded uh, during her career for access to and legalization of midwife-assisted home birth because she and the other midwives at her farm in Tennessee, this big uh, property where a lot of women still go to uh, pursue a natural birth without any interventions, they discovered that birth could be that euphoric experience and a way to get in touch with your female power. Like, I am a woman. I'm going to give birth. I'm going to do this. Yeah, a lot of the testimonials that you'll hear about women who have natural birth, and obviously uh, natural birth proponents like Ina Mae Gaskin, will bring up this issue of female power, female empowerment, the experience of having your body go through something so life-giving and and painful at the same time, they say, that you can't experience anything more empowering, not to keep saying empowering over and over again. Yeah, well, I would imagine, I mean... I, I feel good, you know, when I take out the trash. I'm like, look at what I did. I did that. I emptied the trash and I put a new bag in the trash can. So, like, imagine what it's like if you give birth to something and without any sort of pain pills. I mean, I'm such a wuss. I don't. Caroline, I also appreciate the fact that you just compared childbirth to taking out the trash. Please don't write me any angry letters. Okay, so let's look at what's going on today. So in 2011, uh, according to the National Center for Health Stats, home births were at their highest levels since 1990, which is pretty impressive. Between 2004 and 2008, giving birth at home increased 20%, mainly due, they say, to a 94% increase in home births among white women. But there's a lot, there's other aspects of this increase as well. Yeah, it was no surprise getting all of those requests for a natural birth episode once you see statistics like this uh, showing how it's become a lot more popular option because of things like desiring low intervention births. Because medications can cause blood pressure to drop. Uh, it can either slow down or speed up labor and speed up in not a good way. Uh, it can induce nausea, and it can especially give these expectant, soon-to-be moms feelings that they are out of control of the birthing process, which, again, those kind of anecdotes are kind of frightening you know, to hear about w- women who will go in thinking that they're going to have their baby one way, and then it happens another way, and they're drugged up, and they don't remember it. Right. And part of that feeling out of control is uh, the fact that many U.S. hospitals induce labor after one to two weeks post due date. So instead of just letting letting things happen when they will, and then they'll end up restricting the amount of time a woman can be in labor before transitioning to surgery. I worked with a woman who she's very tiny. She was, she's very tiny, tiny lady. You're holding up your index finger. She's she's as big as my index finger. I carry her around in my pocket. Um, she's a very tiny lady, and she gave birth to two massive boys. And she had C-sections both times because the, the first time she had trouble uh, giving birth because it was just such a big baby. So she had a C-section. And then the second time, it wasn't so much that the doctor forced her to have a C-section, but... She was already approaching, like, past term, like, past due, and he was so big. So they were like, we're going to go ahead and we're just going to go ahead and get him out of there. Well, and then there's the issue of VBACs, the vaginal mm-hmm. birth after cesareans, that some doctors aren't so comfortable, comfortable with. 
Right. Um, but there's also the, the family environment that is involved with natural childbirthing as well. It's uh, sometimes known as a family-centered birth. You hear a lot about um, partners being in the room or by the, the water birthing tub with the woman who's giving birth, uh, delivering massage, uh, uttering soothing, inspirational have that baby quotes. I don't know. Good I'm gracious. <laughs> I've clearly never had a child. You have that baby. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Get it out, girl. I'm sure that the, the first thing that you want to hear if you are... Spice up your life. If you're in the middle of labor is just an inspirational quote by Walt Whitman or something. <laughs> uh, on top of that, too, though, you know, there are cultural and religious concerns that are sometimes tied into it. Rural areas. We talked about how Ina Mae Gaskin has that farm in Tennessee. Um, and just how, you know, in rural settings, home births, natural births can be more common. And for those thrifty parents out there, I know this caught my eye. Natural births tend to cost about a third of the hospital birth. But yeah, that's that's significant. Yeah. Well, so who is it safe for? I mean, is natural birth safe or are we all just are we all just nuts? And yeah, natural birth is definitely uh, great for women who are healthy. And have a low risk pregnancy. You might want to reconsider having a non-intervention uh, situation if you do expect that there will be complications. Yeah, even for women who want to say go to Anime Gaskin's farm to deliver their child, they have to go through rigorous screenings to make sure that they are a healthy candidate who is not just physically healthy, has also been having a very healthy diet for the months leading up to childbirth to make sure that interventions would not otherwise be needed. Yeah, so who's not a good candidate? Uh, a woman over the age of 40, a woman over 300 pounds, a woman with high blood pressure, diabetes, or like we said, a high risk of complication. But putting your mind at ease, in 2011, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology said that the absolute risk of planned home births is low. But the planned in the planned home birth is a very important part of this. This isn't ACOG saying, hey, you know what, if you want to have your baby at home, you know, just hop in the tub. Just pop it out. No big deal. No, a lot of times with these planned home births or natural births, you're going to have a certified nurse midwife who has been trained in delivering babies. You might have a doula to help guide you through the process. You'll probably have family members there. You know, you have an entire team in the same way that you would have a birth plan if you went to a hospital. Well, so what I want to know, if you're if you're experiencing natural childbirth, we already talked about how that means you're not using medicine. You're not getting an epidural. You don't have any sort of IVs dripping anything into you. So how are moms supposed to cope with the pain of childbirth? Well, I'm sure a natural birth proponent would say, Caroline, our bodies are built for this moment. We can do it. We can absolutely do it. But there are also ways to manage that pain because the I mean the thought of having a, a no epidural childbirth is is daunting to me. But a lot of women will go in at least equipped with some kind of pain management technique, such as the Alexander technique. This was developed by F. M. Alexander. And these are techniques he originally developed to help with vocal problems that he had, but apparently it teaches moms how to release muscular tension to increase their breathing capacity and restore the body's original point and proper posture, which sounds a lot like uh 
yogic breathing. Yeah, yeah, and and just putting yourself in a position that's comfortable, which is something that uh, natural birth proponents really stress is that when you haven't taken pain medication and you're not like strapped down to uh, a bed in a hospital, you're allowing yourself to get up and move around Mm -hmm. as needed. There's also the Bradley method, which is also known as the husband coaching method, I believe, which was developed in the late 1940s by Dr. Robert Bradley. It emphasizes uh, excellent nutrition and exercise during your pregnancy, in addition to relaxation techniques to manage pain. It also, obviously, because it's also known as the husband coaching method, it emphasizes having your husband there to help coach you through. Although I will say, small quibble with Mm -hmm. the husband coaching method terminology, I think it's time in 2013, we call it the partner. Partner coaching. The partner coaching (laughs) methodology. Um, Moving onward (laughs) to hypnosis. Like we mentioned when we were talking about the father of natural birth, Dr. Grantley Dick Reed, who pioneered the use of hypnosis during labor in the 1940s to foster total relaxation. Fast forward to 1989, and we have Mary Mongan with her Mongan method, also known as hypnobirthing. And essentially, the point of hypnobirthing is attempting to override the body's fight-or-flight system with hypnosis. Right. I mean, I I would definitely need to be calm. Yeah. <laughs> to, because I'm just, like I said, I'm such a wuss, you know, with pain, and I, I would just be so scared of the pain Right. that, you know... Oh, giving birth, whatever. I'm scared of the pain. Do you think, though, with hypnosis that you would be susceptible enough to persuasion that you could be successfully hypnotized? Because a lot of hypnosis depends on your willingness to... That sounds like a video that you and I need to make about can we be hypnotized? And then I can answer that question. I don't know. Under hypnosis. Under hypnosis. I'll just talk about sandwiches the whole time, probably. Then we have Lamaze, which, which should sound familiar to you, Lamaze breathing. It was uh, pioneered by French doctor Ferdinand Lamaze in 1951. It utilizes distractions during your contractions to decrease that perception of pain. And in 1960, inspired by Dr. Lamaze, Marjorie Carmel introduced uh, his techniques in the U.S. and started Lamaze International. And then we also have water birthing. And uh, this is supposed to provide a natural buoyancy. It may reduce vaginal tearing, relaxes the muscles. And uh, a lot of hospitals actually do have water birthing um, tubs. Uh, birth centers, natural birth centers, also often provide large jacuzzi-style tubs. And at home, you can even rent special portable tubs. Yeah, there are risks associated with water births, though. It's not for women with infections or excessive bleeding, preeclampsia or bacteria in the bloodstream, uh, moms who have herpes or are delivering earlier than full term. And the risks to the baby include brain injury uh, from lack of oxygen underwater. They, they could have electrolyte problems from the baby swallowing water and serious infection from contaminated water. So this is not something you want to do just like on the fly, just right. like any natural planned home birth, you want to make sure to dot your I's and cross your T's. And don't just hop into a tub and think you can have a baby. Correct. No problem. Although I will say, after reading about all of this stuff, I, water birth yeah, caught my attention. I was like, I, I get this. Would you, because they said that, you know, water births vary. You don't have to stay in the tub the whole time. Would you want to deliver in the water or would you want to like just sit in the tub to be buoyant and 
feel better and then get out. I don't. Well, it depends on how I'm feeling we'll, at the time. We'll check back with you in a couple <laughs> yeah, of years. Yeah, check back with me. Um, and then there's also birthing from within. This was pioneered in 1998 by Pam England. And uh, it's more... Portraying birth as a rite of passage includes belly casting, sculptures, and other forms of birthing art. I'm not entirely sure how birthing from within is supposed to relieve the pain of actual childbirth. Uh, and there was uh, one mom's testimonial we read about it that said, ah, you need to do some Lamaze and other stuff on top of this because it's not really going to do much. Well, my mom still uses Lamaze breathing when she's pushing the carts down the aisle on the airplane. So see, it still comes in handy years later, people. Oh yeah, I mean any kind of a breathing technique that Soothing. can, yeah, that can calm your stress levels, get that parasympathetic nervous system going is a usually a good thing. Um, there's also reflexology, progressive and touch relaxation, and also guided imagery, aka daydreaming with a purpose, where you you talked about this earlier, Caroline, where you visualize the baby coming out to help calm you down. Yeah, just picture the baby going down a water slide. So obviously, what we're trying to say is that there is a vast menu of options for moms who have elected for natural birth, aside from the epidural. Well, so, I mean, as far as benefits go of natural birth and and not taking pain medicine, uh, a lot of uh, the supporters of this method are saying... Your, your body tells you what to do and it, and your brain is, is signaling all these things and helping your body and the baby know exactly what to do. And so when you're in so much pain, the body actually releases endorphins naturally. So that's a natural de- decrease in your pain perception. And it can even, and this, I want to hear from moms out there. It, they say that it can even create a shift in thinking, a dreamlike state where you're less focused on the outside, all the people in the room around you and more focused internally on the work of labor. So maybe it it does help you kind of envision what needs to happen inside your body. Yeah, writing in favor of natural birth in the Journal of Prenatal Education, nurse Judith A. Lothian in fall 2000 talked about this physiology of pain in childbirth and talked about how the contractions, feeling those contractions, can be valuable for helping women figure out how to facilitate birth, you know, if uh, they need to move in a certain way or if one position is more comfortable or if they're able to push more easily in, in one position, they can feel that from the pain that they might not be able to or would not be able to if they had gotten an epidural. And uh, Lithian also argues that there is a faster bonding time between mother and child during a natural birth or after after a you know, natural birth, thanks to the fact that they are not on any medications. And also, again, proponents will talk about how the experience of a natural childbirth will stay with the mother in terms of long-term satisfaction. There was actually a study that we found um, that talked to moms from the 1960s and 70s, 20 years later after they had had their natural birth, to kind of see how the experience still resonated with them. And this was in the 
journal Birth. And they talked about how those who really felt like they were in control of their birthing experience had higher self-confidence and self-esteem because they felt like they had done this incredible thing. And maybe because uh, of the fact that they they felt the pain, perhaps it was a more salient experience because, you know, they were they were there present for all of it. Not to say that if you have an epidural, you're not present, but you know what I mean. Like mentally, it's probably easier to remember the experience of pain than of going under. Now, we've brought up the word empowerment a lot during this episode to talk about how, you know, women promote natural birth, how they feel about natural birth. But the fascinating thing is that even though a lot of it is framed in terms of empowerment, natural birth has had a dicey relationship with feminism. It seems very cyclical. Yeah. Like at different times during history, it seems like you're more of a feminist if you have your baby in a hospital. You're more of a feminist if you have your baby at home. You're more of a feminist if you don't have a baby. Like, it seems like there has been this very, like, kind of shifting relationship between childbirth and feminism. And from that New York Times article on Ina May Gaskin that we cited earlier, they talk about how in the early 1900s, feminists strongly encouraged women to move childbirth from the home to the hospital because that was more of a control over what you were doing. Um, in 1915, the National Twilight Sleep Association, which has nothing to do with vampires, lobbied for women to get enough drugs to not remember the childbirth. So you would be in like more of a twilight sleep while you were giving birth. And in the 1970s, Ina McGaskin herself uh, was at odds with feminists whose focus was on getting women into the workplace and out from under those constraints of the family. And as a result, in 1975, the New York Times notes, a Yale feminist group actually booed Gaskin off stage. And Sheila Firestone, who uh, was a big second wave feminist, talked publicly about how she hoped for a day when machines could handle reproduction because biology doesn't equal destiny and reproduction was something biologically foisted upon women. So, yeah, there's I mean, you you could make an argument. Either way, I think. Well, I mean, we also have to take into consideration the fact that, for instance, that feminist group booing Ina Mae Gaskin offstage, that was happening, you know, really at the uh, fever pitch of second wave feminism when perhaps choice wasn't as much of an option for women, when they were really trying to push down um, more barriers. Whereas mm-hmm. today, maybe natural birth is on the rise because... Uh, not to say that we're less politically engaged at all, but the getting into the workforce thing isn't as, um, how do I say this? We're in the workplace, you know, it's not as, it's not as revolutionary. Now we're fighting to figure out how to balance all of that, Mm -hmm. to have our kids and also move our way, uh, lean into, uh, promotions at work. Well, it goes back to the article we talked about in our C-section episode uh, written by Veronique Bergeron, um, where she talked about how any medical intervention is anti-feminist. Right. And so, I mean, that's in stark contrast to what Shulamith Firestone said about, you know, it should all be mechanical and done by machines. Well, and I just think, I mean... uh I, I, to me, at the end of the day, it's going to be anti-feminist and unhelpful for women to sit around and 
point fingers at other people who don't have children the way they want to or choose not to have children at all or who have children. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. can you can slice and dice it so many different ways and to me, the the question is, well, what is the absolute truth of this? The absolute truth of it is that maternal health care should be something that, uh, you know, is supported by the government and safe and that if women want to have home births, then they should be able to find a certified nurse midwife who can do it safely. Or if they want to go to the hospital, they should not be rushed. They should be able to either schedule that C-section or push vaginally, you know, like, it's more about to me, like, what are the healthcare outcomes of this? Yeah, what is what is right for you and your family, and what is healthy for you? Right. It shouldn't be because somebody told you what to do necessarily, and and we shouldn't be. I mean, I say we. I don't necessarily mean you and me. I just mean we, as women, shouldn't be shaking our fingers at people being like, "You gave birth wrong." Right. You know, what's right for you is not right for somebody else. Well, and for me, reading about natural birth for this episode, it did open my eyes up to another option that from my position, which is pretty far away from child care <laughs> anytime soon. Um, nevertheless, it, 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 was, it was something that I would have never considered. Mm-hmm. But now that I know about it, it has opened my eyes to, hey, oh, this actually could be an option. Right. You know, if if I choose to have kids. Right. And also what I was wondering, you know, when Krista and I were, were talking about what to talk about, I did wonder about different people's different definitions of what is normal and what is natural, because I feel like even on a personal level, we all have different definitions. But on a national and international level, people have different definitions of what's normal. Yeah, this conversation would be strange if we were podcasting in the Netherlands, for instance, because there, most moms are referred by their family doctor to a midwife, and doctors will only intervene in high-risk cases. So the natural birthing option and home births are a lot more common over there. And I thought this was funny slash weird slash potentially scary. Epidurals over there are only given if it's basically convenient for the anesthesiologist, like during business hours, if they have time. So, like, if you're looking for an epidural, I hope you give birth during a weekday business hour time. Yeah, we even found a study in the journal Nursing Inquiry from 2009 by Suzanne Dara, who was looking into, okay, what is the global definition of normal, natural when it comes to birthing? Because I believe, okay, the World Health Organization defines normal birth as a birth that is spontaneous and onset, low risk at the start of labor, and remaining so throughout labor and delivery, which seems very nebulous. Right. Well, they talk in this article about how... Normal and natural are not the same thing. And normal isn't even normal because you might, okay, they might just like look at a case file on you as a pregnant lady and be like, oh, yeah, looks like she's healthy. You know, everything's where it should be. She's normal. But if you examine anyone, any mother very closely, nobody's really normal, normal. Like everybody has different issues, health issues, even if they're not something major. So there's that whole issue of defining a normal birth. 
versus defining what a natural birth means. Uh, for instance, the Royal College of Midwives defines a normal childbirth as one where a woman commences, continues, and completes labor physiologically at turn, which again sounds very nebulous and vague. Well, it seems like a lot of these definitions, when it comes to normal, simply draws the line at it's not induced. You're not inducing the labor right. in any way. And you would probably be delivering vaginally and not be a C-section. But that, I mean, that brings up the whole question of what's really normal. Right. Because how many people are getting labor-induced? And then, depending on the stats, something that we don't think of as quote-unquote normal could actually be very normal and common. So then you have to delineate between normal and common. Right. And then if the opposite of normal is abnormal, then it's like... <laughs> then who's... Yeah. We're all weirdos. The language problem does uh, does get... A bit tricky, but I think we can, for the purpose of this podcast, we can hammer down that natural birth really does focus on it's not induced. There's no epidural. It doesn't have to be at home. It is different from a home birth. You can have a natural birth at home, but you can also have a natural birth at a birthing center. Right. At a hospital. It's like how a square is a rhombus, but a rhombus is not a square. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I feel like for all this whole broader discussion about natural births versus C-sections versus epidural or no epidural, uh, New York Times Magazine writer Samantha M. Shapiro summed it up very well. And she's also a mother uh, when she wrote, quote, there is not one pure route to authentic motherhood. Yeah. We had a listener write in on Facebook who talked about how after her C-section, she had other mothers tell her she wasn't a real mother because she didn't give birth vaginally. And that just breaks my heart because, hello, I as an adult know plenty of other adults who were born by C-section. And I mean... Well, then it gets, their mothers are real mothers. Like, what? How can you say that to someone? Well, and then it gets into, hey, would you say that to an adoptive mother? Right, you're not a real mother? mom. Yeah, that's right. awful. So let's lighten up on uh, judging other people, and let's all just try to be happy and get along. Yeah, says Hippie Caroline. <laughs> you're gonna go run away to Ina Mae Gaskin's farm in Tennessee. I know. I hope she has puppies there. I can just play with them. Well, in the meantime, I'm sure that this episode has gotten a lot of moms, and I hope dads, too, thinking. So share your thoughts with us. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also message us on Facebook. That's also probably the fastest way to get a response from us would be via Facebook. Yeah, I don't work. I don't work. I just sit on Facebook all day. It's just on Facebook. Uh, you can tweet us too at mom stuff podcast. And before we get to a couple of the messages you sent us, Caroline, let's take just a short break. And now back to our letters. And we have a couple of letters from our hair color podcast, which we're still getting. A lot of fun emails from this one is from Darlene and Darlene I've probably read letters from you before but I'm going to read another one from you because it it tickled me she writes I've been coloring my hair since I was in my teens my mother worked for a cosmetics company that made hair coloring so I her long haired daughter often served as a model for new colors my hair which was naturally mouse brown has been every shade in the quasi natural rainbow I was a brunette when I got married a blonde when my son was born and a redhead when my corporate ID photo was taken. However, a while back, I decided to abandon the constant upkeep, chopped my hair off short, and was delighted to see that my natural color was coming in as a beautiful shade of silver. 
silver. I remembered an old Clairol product called Silk and Silver, which was to enhance and encourage silvery hair colors, but discovered it was no longer made. And also, I couldn't find any products for enhancing naturally silver or gray hair that wasn't spray-on or punk-related. Personally, I can't wait to be a female silver fox, but the home hair color and hair care industry doesn't seem to offer any help. And I looked up Silk and Silver because I wanted to see the box, and I couldn't even find a Google image for it. Really? Yeah. And I'm surprised, too, Darlene, that it hasn't been easier to find some kind of at least white or very light gray hair coloring because it's having a, it has been having a fashion moment. Definitely. So it might be something you have to go to your saddle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I have a letter here from Adam about uh, blonde hair and stereotypes. He said, when I was in South America, people often seemed surprised to hear I was from the U.S. Apparently, many people think Americans are all tall with blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm not sure when we all became Norwegian, but that's the stereotype. When people would ask where I'm from and I replied, they'd say, you're from the U.S., but you're not a monkey. I finally asked what the word indicated. I knew it meant monkey, but apparently in Colombian slang, it's someone with blonde hair and blue eyes. I don't know how they came to think we're all blonde with blue eyes, especially since Colombians by far have more fun despite their dark hair. But at least I figured out why everyone was surprised I wasn't a monkey. So thank you, Adam. Yeah, Adam is one of our, our super fans who is traveling the world and sends us photos a lot from places that he's been and makes me a little jealous that I am not traveling. So, Adam, thank you. I'm traveling vicariously through you. <laughs> well, again, our email address is momstuffatdiscovery.com. You can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Check in with us on Facebook because we've got a lot of fun stuff going on this summer as well. You can follow us on Tumblr, too. We're stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And don't forget to watch us as well. Three times a week, we're coming at you on YouTube, making you laugh and helping you learn at youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 